Uh, what's up, Fathom Church? Happy Sunday. Sunday Fun Day. I saw a few of our, our Fathom Church Sunday Fun Day shirts rocking around the room. There goes one. It's so good to see you. I always love those family vibes we got in the room when you're hugging necks and saying what's up. Uh, let me say hello to everybody online. Hey, can we in the room, can we say everybody, hey, that's watching online, come on, show them some love. We love you. You're our Fathom fam. If you're listening, driving down the road, you're out of town, you're, you're down uh, sick this week or sick with sick kids or something. Uh, we love you. We're thinking about you today. Uh, if you're in the room today and this is your first time here, you're new to Fathom, let me just welcome you and uh, let you know our prayer is that this is a place for you to grow in your faith and to grow in family. And like that moment we just shared uh, is, is, a, is a, a picture of that, that family. Uh, but it's just, it's just a snapshot. It's just a snapshot of what it means to be a part of the family of God. And uh, I want to let you know about a couple of things uh, coming up here in, uh, in the next two weeks. Uh, one, next week, I'm going to be starting a brand new series called Koinonia, which is like, oh, that's awesome. I can't wait. Uh, Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. I, I knew that wouldn't connect. I I knew you didn't care. It's the Greek word for fellowship because here's the deal. I want to go deeper and, and really just light a fire under us for how important fellowship is. In Acts 2.42, we see what the believers were devoted to in the early church, Acts 2.42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. And I think it's really important. We're going to take four weeks, and we're going to talk about what fellowship. And Koinonia, just kind of the, the, the pitch for the series is how to do life together. Because fellowship is more than shaking hands. It's more than potluck meals that we make it in American culture with church. That, that's not what Jesus meant when he ta- taught us about fellowship and what it meant to participate in fellowship. And so I'm excited about the series. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I'll tell you, a lot of that, this, series, this next series started, um, and really what I'm teaching next week is in order, and what I'm going to teach for four weeks is in order to prepare us for what I believe God's going to do this summer. Uh, one of my deep my heart for, for you um, is, is that you have legitimate, like, lasting friendships within the body of Christ. Like, people you love, and like, these are, this is my, this is my people. Tara and I moved to the city, and, and we, didn't, we didn't have family in the city since one of her grandmothers has moved here, and it's the first time Taryn's ever lived in the same city as her grandmother, uh, this grandmother. So it's, it's been really cool, but, but when we say fathom family, we, we mean it, and so that's one of my deepest longings for you is that you develop friendships that, that they're real friendships. It's not Sunday acquaintances. It's not, it's not work acquaintances. It's no, no. It's like, this is my brother and sister, and like we're, we're in this thing together. And so with that in mind, our groups this summer are going to look really different. I felt God was really compelling me after uh, last fall for all of our groups to really be focused around this idea of building lasting friendships and, and what real fellowship is. And so oftentimes, if you've been a part of our groups, they look like different uh, things, often different studies that we're doing. But this summer, our groups are going to look like having meals together. And like the, the, the reason we go is not necessarily to like exegete everything in the scriptures, like pull everything we can from the scripture. It's, it's just to love. It's just to highlight and turn the volume up on this fellowship thing that I think we've missed. And so we're going to be teaching through that through a month and really what that means. And we're going to get a chance to apply it in groups all over our city. So I just want you to make plans for this summer to be building some lasting friendships and uh, with really no agenda except to be together. We'll pray and just be together and just be the body of Christ. So does that sound like fun to you guys? (laughs) I'm I'm pumped about it too. And so uh, really excited about that. Today, we're going to wrap up part four of the series we've been going through called Here and Now. If you haven't been with us, I'll just catch you up. We really talk, and you can check it out on the podcast, on Apple uh, Podcast and SoundCloud. 
or on the website, it'll lead you there. Um, but we've been talking about what it looks like to live in, in the present. And last week we talked about uh, really just that life's a mist. And when we come to that realization, we all want to live in the moment, but the best way to live in the moment is to realize that it's all we're promised. It's all we've got. And so we're just leaning into the, the here and now. Uh, before that, we talked about love and love being the greatest thing. Like in the here and now, love is always the preeminent thing in our life. It doesn't matter if we can speak in tongues of angels. It doesn't matter if we got faith that can move a mountain. If we don't have love, we got nothing. It's annoying to God. <laughs> it's not impressive to God. It's, it, it's love. And then before that, we really talked about what discipleship looks like for us to be living this out. Remember to, to meet, to pray, to serve, and invite, and knowing what that invite is. But today I want to wrap it up and wrap up our, our series talking about, about heaven, talking about eternity. Um, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in, in church, but the church I, I was part of, I don't remember singing a lot about heaven, and I remember going to my grandfather's church. Um, he, he was in corporate America through the, all of his life, really. He came to the Lord uh, later in life and, and um, uh, was in corporate America, and uh, when he was in his like late 50s, he felt a call to ministry to be a pastor, and so he began to pastor this small church and began to just love these people and just did an amazing job uh, with this, this church and really build buildings and vision, you know, people coming to know the Lord. And, and, um, but I remember the, the one or two times I've been there a um, long time ago, he hasn't pastored um, in, in that setting in a long time, but I remember going to this church, and they sang some songs that uh, I didn't know. This is the first time that I'd heard these songs, and one of them um, went like this. When we all see Jesus, what a day of rejoicing it will be. Yeah. You guys know the song? I feel like everything in that era of songs, like, you got to do the jig. I just do a jig to it. I can't help. Uh, it kind of helps me get in the melody. Um, and then there was this other one. Uh, yeah, we'll sing and shout the victory when we all get to heaven. Is what it's called. And then there's a, another one um, that uh, you probably know. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away. Brian's shaking his head. He's like, that's not my jam, bro. Play that elevation stuff. I'm, 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 you're losing me. Um, no, but I remember hearing these songs the first time I had heard them, and they just sang about heaven a lot. Um, partly because the, I think at the time uh, a lot of the, the, the folks were older, and they got excited about heaven. And, and, and I think uh, something that's become very um, real uh, in my life, uh, understanding is over the past year there's been a handful of things that I'm like, man, I haven't taught on that. And I haven't taught on that well, and, and I've just felt just kind of um, an urgency to teach on a handful of topics. I taught on wisdom, and I feel like I hadn't taught on that in a long time. I taught on the wrath of God and what judgment of God, how we should approach that theologically. And, and today I want to talk about heaven because I feel like this is one of those that I, I used to teach a lot on, and, and, and I've kind of, you know, haven't taught, about, taught on it in a long time, but I think it's a perfect ending to hear now. So I want to go to our scriptures here in John chapter 14 in just a second. Um, but I want to let you know the context in which we're going to go in here, because we all have images of heaven. We all have images uh, of hell. We have these uh, e ideas around eternity, but I think some of them are underdeveloped, um, or some of them are just flat out wrong. And, and so we're going to spend a lot of time in the scriptures and just looking through the scriptures about what what eternity looks like. Um, but in this text, John chapter 14 is where we're going to be speaking from today and look reading through. Um, in this text, John is one of four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is the only gospel writer who doesn't put it in chronological order. So I want to make sure you know, the chrono you know where he's at in the story. He's really at Jesus' 
um, his kind of last hours. Like he's with his disciples for the last moment. Chapter 12, Jesus predicts his death. So imagine being really tight with someone that you've followed for three years and they're like, hey, this is it for me. I'm done. Like just feel the weight and energy of their room at that moment and what those disciples were going through. Uh, he not only predicts that in chapter 12 and chapter 13, he predicts Peter's uh, denial of him three times, who's the leader of the pack, the outspoken rock on which I'll build my church. He predicts that. And then he also predicts that one of these guys is a total backstabbing thief <laughs> who's going to betray him. And um, so he, he, he predicts all this stuff um, ahead of, of it all happening. And, uh, and we, of course, we know that that happened. Um, but that's the room. That's the mood in the room. Uh, Jesus has predicted his death, his betrayal, and Peter's denial. And then we start with chapter 14, and Jesus says, but don't let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> it's okay, guys. Like, what? why are you upset? Because you just said you're going to die, and you said hey, our leader is going to deny you, and one of us is a betrayer. Like, do what? And he's like, then don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, um, also believe in me, or believe also in me. Uh, my father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, um, if that were not so, uh, would I have told you that um, I am going there to prepare a, a place for you? I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. And Thomas spoke up and said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. I, I want to talk to you about seven things that we need to know about eternity. Seven things we, we got to know about eternity from this text. And I'm going to um, step into a couple other texts as well and tons of, of supporting scriptures along the way. So why in a series called Here and Now are we talking about heaven, which is like yet to come, right? Um, first, I, I want to start this in the way that Jesus started it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Some of us in the room, we've got a legitimate, some of us watching online, we've got a legitimate fear of dying, fear of the pain of it. Uh, we've seen death, we've gotten close to it, and, and, it, and it scares us. Um, we worry about what would happen with our children or our families if we were to die. And, and so we have a legitimate fear of death. Um, and, and so I think what Jesus would say to us is the same thing he said to disciples. Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in me. Keep on believing in me. Believe also that he's going he's gonna to see it through to the end. So th there's a number of reasons we need to talk about heaven, and it's particularly at the end of this series here and now. One is we have not necessarily incorrect views, but we have incomplete views of heaven. And so I want to help round that out and fill that out on what the scriptures teach about heaven. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And, and often the images that we've seen in culture have shaped our very simple ideals of, of what heaven and hell is. And a lot of us are frankly just afraid to study it. So we need to, to study it. Uh, and, and the second thing is, is I believe what we believe about the end actually does matter. Um, maybe not as much in the details as we would like, but um, actually a, a lot of what we believe um, about the end matters. Let, let me say this. Put it like this in a story or an illustration. If you found out and you got a prognosis or a diagnosis that you had 30 days to live, just the next 30 days of your life would look very different than the previous 30 days of your life. 
right? Every conversation would mean so much more. Every ice cream you sit down with your kids, you would cherish. Like every, every, everything would be different, like the way we approach it. So the way we view the end and the urgency of the end actually impacts what we do and how we, we live today. So this, this really does matter, really does matter. And we talked about this last week some when we talked about life being a mist. Like it's a, it's a vapor. I sprayed uh, my wife's thieves spray all over the place and like people were getting wet up here. I sprayed it and the mist just disappeared and we realized that that, that life is, is, is but a vapor, and it's so quick, and so we become passionate about the present. And I think in the same way, when we understand the reality of eternity, and when we embrace the reality of eternity, it actually brings a passion to share the gospel on a daily basis. It changes how we interact with people and the urgency that comes with that. And so I want to process it mostly through this text here, but we are going to go to a couple places. And, and I want to tell you, my, my heart for you today is that you have a clear understanding about eternity. And when I say clear understanding, I mean a very vague understanding of, of eternity, because one theologian said it well. He said, what we have when we talk about heaven and, and through the scriptures is we have a lot of markers and signposts that lead us. And this, all the signposts are accurate, but the signposts are leading us a little bit into a fog, a little bit into a fog in that, you know how in a fog you can see the outlines of things, but the details are kind of kept from us. And, and that's kind of how I want us to approach it. I want us to remember that we're looking for the outlines and we're going to long, because I, I think a lot of us or some of us, we want to go into the fog and we want all the details. Anybody that personality, like, give me the details. And what, what I've seen from believers is they'll get into the fog, and if you've ever been in a fog and you're surrounded by it, what happens? You, you lose your sense of direction. You actually get lost in it. But I, I think when you're beyond the fog, you, you're actually intrigued. You're paying attention. You know you're coming towards a fog. And so we've got these clear signposts, but we're moving into a fog. We can see the outlines, but some of the details we, we're going to lack clarity on. And that's okay, because I think the fog is actually a, what I would just call a glorious mystery. And actually, the scriptures call it that, too. They call it, there's this mystery of what is to come that we're actually not trying to clear the fog. It's actually the fog, it actually draws us in. It actually causes us to eagerly await that which is to come, to see what's on the other side of uh, that fog. And so uh, seven things. I'm going to try to be a little bit quicker than I was in first service. I kind of took my time. Uh, and so I'm going to try to try to give you everything I, I've got here. Uh, the first thing I, I believe this text tells us is, one, is death is not the end. Death is not the end. Uh, and I think most of us would agree with that. Statistics prove <coughs> that most of us would uh, agree that death is is not the end. And we see this in the text. Jesus says like, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you and so that you can come and be with me. Jesus is setting us up that there's, this isn't the end, disciples. Like, here's why you don't have to be afraid. Here's, here's why you don't have to mourn as the world mourns. Because this isn't the end. It's just, it's just not the end. Um, and, and there's a, a lot of joy in that. And Jesus is trying to pass that off. And, 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 but we have these images in our, in our head of a lot of things, but we, we miss out on that there is a forthcoming reunion that Jesus is preparing us for. There is a forthcoming reunion, and death is not the end. We've got these images in our head. If I asked you, what, what does heaven look like as you walked in today? You'd probably say things like, streets of gold. I mean, we just go the first thing we know, like random details. We remember streets of gold, right? No more sickness isn't that a thing like you know people floating in clouds I kind of just like go-kart clouds you know is that is that like a Mario Kart type of thing go-kart clouds 
Um, we, we have these images in our brain, but, but often these images um, are really based out of artists. It, they're based out of people like Dante and Michelangelo, like that have passed on in culture, and it's like, heaven and hell, and like, and what happens is it, that kind of imagery forms into our theology. If we don't really go through and study the scriptures, and, and we have this like, oh, heaven's there, and heaven, hell's here, and, and we kind of find ourselves caught in this place, because if I ask a secondary question, what's the purpose of salvation? Like, why be saved? A large majority of us, the answer, the first that would come off the lips at least, is so that we can go to heaven, right? Well, while that answer is not incorrect, it is, it's incomplete. I mean, it, it's true. Yes, yes, we long to be in heaven, and, and heaven is, is what comes after this life uh, because death is not the end, but it's not the whole picture, and we're going to spend some time this morning uh, looking at that. There's one word that I think we really need to understand here in this uh, John chapter 14 and it's when we talk, and it's one that gets translated in multiple ways, and there's actually kind of annoying controversy about, which is, um, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that one in just a second. But it is the word home here. Uh, earlier in the text in verse 2, uh, Jesus says, I, I'm going to prepare many rooms. My, in my house are many rooms. Uh, sometimes it gets translated as many mansions, and people get excited about that. Like, yeah, mansions. I'm going with that translation. Um, the Greek word here, monet, uh, not like the artist, M-O-N-E is how it's translated uh, from the Greek. Uh, Monet is actually a term that, uh, uh, it's a temporary dwelling. So if you and I were headed to, um, to Virginia tonight, we were heading to Virginia and we leave kind of late today, uh, we'd probably stop off at a, a Monet, a temporary dwelling place. This is how this term was used in Greek society. Um, on the way there, we'll stop off and we'll find like a temporary dwelling or a wayside inn, like just along the path, we're going to stop off in that. And so in my father's house, there's many Monet's. And, and so there's really a temporary, regular, common use of this word. Later in the text, as they just showed up there, John 14, 23, is the only other time in scripture that this word is used. It's the only other time, and in this time um, when Jesus uses it, he doesn't use it in a temporary sense. He, he uses it in a very permanent sense because he says that you'll come, and, and if you'll throw that scripture back up there, I think you had it. Yep. Uh, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them, a, a dwelling within them. And so regardless, we can get caught up on, is it temporary? Is it eternal? Well, I, I think the scriptures, in keeping with Jesus' as a whole will help us define which one Jesus is talking about as permanent and which one is talking about as temporary. But that word, remember that, Monet, that's going to help us as we move forward uh, in this. Uh, one text before we'll move on, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 57. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Behold, I'm gonna, this is a, it's a mystery. It's a fog. It's a glorious mystery here. We're, we will not all uh, sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and uh, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your sting? Uh, is your victory, O oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
Uh, and the power of law uh, of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Death is, is not the end. It's not the end. It's swallowed up uh, in victory. And, and we look at this life from that place. That, that is the coming truth uh, that will be uh, completed. And so there, there, our mortal body, these bodies are mortal. They will die um, and then we will be raised with Christ and uh, in, immortal. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. He, there's, there's something about this that the majority of people, Christian or not, believe there's something after this. That he's set this within our hearts, yet none can fathom from what God has planned from beginning to end is what Ecclesiastes 3 11 says. Uh, the next thing I, I'd ask you uh, about uh, heaven and just kind of where you're at on this, I'd ask you a question. Where is heaven? It's kind of a trick question, honestly. Where, where is heaven? Well, so, someone's really like, there, like far away uh, in a galaxy, galaxy far away or something like that. We kind of start with the Star Wars thing, like in a galaxy far away. Um, uh, but Here's the simple approach. Here's the outlines we need to know because we can get caught up in the place. But as we looked at in Jesus's, you know, final farewell to his disciples, he wasn't. He didn't want them caught up in the place. He wanted them caught up in the person. This wasn't about the place. So, very simply, heaven is wherever God is. It's God's dwelling place. Like. I think, again, we can get caught up in the, in the literal place of it. it it's, it's a great question. It's an unknowable question um, because heaven is wherever God is. N.T. Wright says it way more profound than I can. Heaven is God's dimension of present reality. It's God's dimension of present reality. That's heaven. God is, heaven is God's dwelling place. We'd all say that. We'd all say, Where, where's heaven? Well, who, who, where's God live? He, he lives in heaven. God, heaven is, is dwelling God's uh, dwelling place. Uh, actually, 72% of Americans believe that there's a literal heaven. I was actually su- ple- pleasantly surprised that it was a majority of people actually believe there's a little of heaven. I think there's this eternity in our hearts. We know that something's after. And we can get caught up on the where question, but Jesus is not talking about a place. He's talking about a person. He, he's talking about following him, and we'll see that more and more. But often when we think of, of heaven, we think of so far away. But if heaven is where God is, and God is near to us, as Philippians 4 says, Philippians 4, 5. The, the Lord's near. So if heaven is where God is, that's God's dwelling place, and the Lord is near, maybe heaven's not some vast universes away. If, if we believe that God is omnipresent, and why he put the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments of not making idols, so that we think that we can enter into his presence and then exit his presence. This is ultimate present. Maybe heaven's not so far away, ultimately. And Jesus really says this, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's come near, he says in Luke 10 and 9. It's come near to you. It's not, it's not far off. It's not in a galaxy far away. What if, what if, it's, what if it's close? Because, because God's close. God is near, and that's where he dwells. Uh, the, the next thing I think it's really important we understand, and i got to hurry, I'm sorry. Uh, believers are, are destined for eternity with God in heaven. Uh, eter- uh, believers are destined for eternity with God in heaven. Jesus says this, I'm going to take you to be there with me. 
It's not, it's not some, you know, it's not the, the streets of gold and, and um, well, the mansions aren't the purpose of heaven. The, the, the purpose of, of heaven is to be with God. Will those things be there? I think it's going to be more glorious and more, way cooler than MTV Cribs. Like, it's going to be, right? I mean, which is what we kind of get in our brain. Like, it's going to be way more amazing and glorious. And, and the beauty of it is not any of that stuff. That's earthly stuff. The scriptures say, fix your eyes on things above. Like, fix your eyes on, on, on what's to come. Believers are destined for eternity. Uh, that's what, what Paul said, uh, actually, in the previous chapter Um, of Philippians, uh, Philippians 3, he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. This is our destiny. This is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, Um, the Lord Jesus Christ. We we await for Christ to return for his church. And and there's there's a tension here that I think we need to talk about for just a second. And it's this idea to eagerly await because I talked about earlier uh, this, my grandparents' church, I remember going to, and they sang a lot of songs about heaven. I think folks that, uh, as we move early, older in our, our life, we begin to long for that as our bodies waste away, and we're just like, just get me out of here. You know, or as we see, life has changed so much, uh, society and culture, and it's falling away, and we're just like, just get me out of here. And, and I would say, actually, we, we need that. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about here. We eagerly await, and, and I would just ask you, do you eagerly await to, to be with God, like in his present reality, not in our present reality, but in his, do you, because this is, this is huge, this is huge. Do we eagerly await that? Because we can be in his presence. We can, we can be in his presence. See, it's, it's, not, it's not an idol. We can be in his presence on daily. So we need to eagerly await that which is to come, but we also need to like have an urgent participation in his, his kingdom now. And so we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. Um, we begin to see that um, Jesus is like, and you know the way to go. And Thomas, who we talked about on Easter a little bit, who we often kind of get, he gets, you know, hated on for being a doubter. But um, I'm telling you, some of you are like, Thomas is my favorite disciple now because um, Jesus is like, you know the way. And, and Thomas is like, no, Jesus, we don't know the way. We don't. Like you were thinking we were smarter than we are. This is too deep. It's too vague. I need you to break it down for the fishermen on the, on the right side of the room. You know what I mean? Like break this down, Jesus. I, we don't know the way. And he goes, I'm the way. It's not a place, it's a person. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Don't, don't get caught up in the place. Don't get caught up in the place. Get caught up in the person, and he's going to lead us to the place. And In other words, we've got to be less, less worried about that and, and moving on, just following Jesus. It's funny how in our culture, when you ask someone how they view Jesus, generally speaking in our society, uh, whether they believe in, that Jesus was resurrected, whether he, whether he was the, the Son of God, uh, generally speaking, people have a pretty positive outlook on Jesus, that uh, he, he brought peace, that he brought a lot of good moral teachings, and, and, uh, and people just holistically, I, I think, you know, really appreciate who Jesus was as a person. But when you ask the same crowd of people what they believe about God, often it's that God is angry, and, and he's got a, a long white beard and ready to strike someone down with a lightning bolt. It's a Zeus image that we have and what Jesus goes on, verses 8 through 9, and what he's telling here in verse 7 is, hey, like, if, you, if you've seen me, like, you've seen the Father. And I think even in this room, somebody needs to hear this. Like, the thing that's kind of separating you from, from 
God, I think in some ways in your head, is, is just like you're thinking they're two different people. And, and Jesus is the, the, the literal embodiment of God in, in the Godhead. He's like, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And so they're not different. They're, they're, the, they're the same, and, except Jesus lived it out in a bodily form for our sake to die for our sins. And so, but oftentimes we've got these two different pictures, like God is, is mean and angry and Jesus is good. And like, no, 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 no. Like God is good. God, God is good. And he showed that through the life of Jesus and by giving his only son. Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and life. This is what he says to his disciples in this moment. And I'll tell you, um, that's not a popular thing to say in our culture today. Like it's, it's offensive in a pluralistic society that says all ways, all paths lead to God. All paths uh, lead to heaven. Um, that's the popular teaching. And I don't have a lot of time for this, but it's such a flawed philosophy. Like it, it, it doesn't even make it to the point of theology before it's cut off with philosophy. That two things, it's called the law of non-contradiction, like philosophy 101 here. Uh, it's the law of non-contradiction. Two things that are true cannot contradict one another. So if always lead to God, always lead to heaven, and I say, you're wrong, there's only one way, we both can't be right. They contradict one another. <laughs> if, if I'm right, that means you're wrong. You see, it's, it's a broken philosophy, and it is the philosophy of our culture. And so if we just keep with stream, we're going to go down this path in which um, we, we've got universalism, which is uh, cor- uh, a corrupt gospel, and no, no gospel at all. Um, and, and so we've got to confront that and, and speak the truth. 58% of people actually do, in, in America, believe in a literal hell. 58% of people. I was actually surprised by that as well. I, I believe that, that there is a, a, a literal hell. I think the images we carry with it, um, that some of them are, are plucked from Scripture, but again, uh, incomplete in, in some ways. Uh, just as the greatest glory of heaven is to be with God, uh, the greatest torment of hell is to be separated from God and to be eternally separated. Uh, there is a reason in prisons that they torture people through solitary confinement. There, there, there's, there's a reason. I, I was watching this show. You guys may know Morgan Spurlock, who did Supersize Me, that documentary movie. You guys probably remember that one. So he did a, a series of, of, of TV shows uh, called 30 Days, and he would take on different things for 30 days. And so one of them was going to prison, and um, one of the things while he was in prison, he was like, okay, I want to do solitary confinement. And so he did it, and he began to lose his mind within like 48 hours, and he couldn't handle it losing his mind. You've probably heard stories like that, and it's an intense, you know, treatment. And so be really careful about loneliness and letting loneliness linger um, and isolation lingering because it's, it's, of, it's of the devil. <laughs> isolation is, is I, I believe it's breeding ground for everything the enemy wants to do. And uh, connection and fellowship, which we're going to talk about next week, is everything that God wants to do. And bringing unity among the body of believers that we represent him is everything he wants to do. I'm turning off my clock. It's not going to happen, so you guys just hang with me. We will get there. I'm tired of looking at it. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no getting out. Um, there's no purgatory in Scripture. There, there's no, like, waiting place. Like, it's, it's hell. It's eternal torment uh, away from God. We, we could have a much larger discussion, but let, let me talk about the practicals of that, because I think that's where the rubber hits the road for us, for many of us, because uh, maybe even some people in this room, you're like, hey man, don't believe that. 
um, I'm pushing back from you. Or maybe you've got people in your life, um, they're skeptics or, or non-believers or, or whatever their story is, and they'll push back on something like this, and they'll want you to answer this question is, so I don't believe, does that mean I'm going to hell? And they want you to answer that question. They want you to take the seat as, as judge. And we talked about this months ago that we, that's not our place. We're, we're not the judge. Uh, we can judge rightly between, uh, with Scripture to the body of believers, but we're not, we're not the judge of anybody on the last day, you know. And so, um, and so, but they want you to take that seat so they can call you a hypocrite, so they can call you, don't take it. It's bait. It's bait. Just see it. It's bait. Uh, so how do we approach that question? Uh, based on wisdom I, I've seen from other pastors and how to approach that and what I've learned over the years, um, it, it's pretty simple. Like all of us, we get a choice of what, to believe in. Like, we thank God for uh, free will to, to what we put our faith in. The Buddhist puts his faith in Buddha. Um, you know, uh, those in Islam put their faith in Muhammad. Um, those who are atheists put their faith in, in nothing, like the, 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 that they're true and like there's nothing, nothing true. They put their maybe faith in, in science alone. Um, and how I approach that question is, is this. It's, hey, everybody approaches, like, puts their faith in something. I put my faith in Jesus. I put my faith that, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he's not a liar, he was Lord, and, um, and that he did raise on the third day, that he was born of Virgin Mary, and that he is returning for his church. I, I put my life and my eternity at stake on that, and you have that choice too. Um, I think the facts are overwhelming. The transformation of my life and millions of other people's lives is overwhelming, um, and so, um, and so that, that's going to be a choice you make. And so uh, I, I just kind of leave it, leave it at that. Um, but it's not popular in our society, and it, and, it, and it confronts bad theology. It confronts universalism. It, co- it confronts all kinds of things that kind of ruffle our feathers and we're not comfortable with, but we didn't write the book, and we don't get to decide. It's not how it works, and so we find ourselves um, uh, clinging to, to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. A uh, couple next two things I, I really want to teach in cohesion with one another and teach them together. And so um, I want to read the, the first one. The current heaven uh, is not our final destination. So I think this is where some theology falls off for people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, do what? The current heaven is not our destination? Like, it's not our, fi- it's not our final destination. Remember the Monet text, the, the, that Monet uh, Greek word. It's not, it's not our final destination. Read uh, Isaiah 65, 17 with me. Uh, our, our final destination is the new heavens and new earth. Uh, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Isaiah 65, 17. Uh, God is creating. And so we can look to the Old Testament and we see this prophecy of what God will do in restoring. And, and, and in the New Testament, we know that Jesus is a part of that. And we see this again in Revelation 21. Before we go to that, let me complete the thought. Uh, the current heaven is not our final destination. The new earth is our final destination. The new earth is our final destination. Some of you are like, what is the new earth? Well, let's read Revelation 21, another text that says exactly what we saw in Isaiah 61. It's kind of get a more complete view of heaven and eternity. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1. And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and there's a lot to, to that, um, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We always, we see this imagery a lot throughout the scriptures that the church is the bride of Christ, and Christ is 
the groom. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I, I think what we probably get brought up understanding is that there's heaven and it's far away. And what the scriptures teach us is that the Lord's near and, and, and may, maybe it's not as far away wherever it's at, whatever, whatever it is. But God, Jesus, wants us less concerned about the place and more concerned with the person and following him. And he's going to lead us there. So we don't have to know all the way. Um, and this is kind of some vague outlines of, of what's to come uh, in, in eternity. I, I, I describe it like this to kind of pull things uh, together in just a, a little story. So imagine that um, you're homeless in Jacksonville, Florida. Homeless, without a home. And uh, really, really broke down in life at this point. And, um, and you are, have the opportunity to inherit an incredibly beautiful home a mansion, if you will, on the Pacific coast. We get to inherit this home. And not, not only do you inherit this incredible house, which some of you are like, that'd be sweet because I actually am homeless right now. Um, so like on the other Pacific coast, uh, we're longing for that. But not only that, um, but we're given a job. We're given a job that we always dreamed of, like better than what you can ever imagine. I don't know if you've just, your life has looked like a one crappy job to the next, but it, it, it's, a, it's a job that would fulfill all of your greatest desires that you can be a part of. You don't even care about the money. I just want to just do it. Like you'd give your, your life to it. So you're given this, but you're in Jacksonville. Uh, and then you board the plane and you have a layover in Dallas because, you know, from Jacksonville, you can't get a direct flight over there. You got to stop somewhere. So we, we're stopping over in Dallas. And in Dallas, you actually have a bunch of friends and family there in Dallas. And, and you guys all reconnect and you spend some time in Dallas and, and you get to hang out. And it's just like family reunion. Everybody's together and, and we get to see each other. And then when the time comes, when it's time for our flight, we, we all board the plane together and we go to the Pacific coast and begin to enjoy the new heaven and the new earth. We, we get to enjoy restored creation. And so there, there's a lot of deep stuff in here. And there's a lot of other scriptures that I could use to support. I'm trying to keep it simple for us today, but it's important for us to begin to get these vague outlines because it matters on how we live today and what that means for us today to participate in the, the new um, not to participate in earth, but to establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The seventh thing that I think we need to know about eternity is um, that we, we got to live, we should live to bring God's will on earth as it is in heaven. This is the part that I, I said, a lot of our theology on, on heaven is not incorrect, it's just incomplete. This is the part in which we we often forfeit, and it actually really plays into our life. If, if this whole life of salvation is just about getting out of here and going to heaven, then what's the point in taking care of this world? Like, what's the point in preaching the gospel if it's just about me getting out of here? But when we know that like, we are actually called to be a part of bringing God's heaven to earth, like establishing that, uh, the kingdom, this is the, the theology of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the most common teaching theme of Jesus. 
Money is second. Heaven and hell falls far, far behind. But more than anything else, Jesus teaches on the kingdom of God. More than love, he teaches on the kingdom of God. More than any other topic, he teaches on the kingdom of God. When he stepped into the earth, Mark chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is, has come near. It's here. It's, it's now. Why are we doing a series on here now? Why are we talking about heaven? Because Jesus said it's here now. It's the Greek word ergizo. See, like my pronunciation, that's my Greek. That's as good as it gets, ergizo. Um, and a gizo, it, it means to, to bring to hand, to, to draw near. I, I think that the, the most, the deepest definition understanding of this is to connect one thing to another. This is what we do. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God, and we have an opportunity to spread that kingdom of God by allowing him to, king, to be king and reign in our hearts. And that he runs our show. We surrender our life to him, and he leads the way. The, kingdom, the time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1.15, not 1.5. I apologize. Jesus talks about this all over the place. It's the most common theme. What did he say in Matthew 6.33 in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First, First, not my life. If we're disconnected, that heaven is just a far off place that we're going to get taken off to at some point and we can't wait to get out of here, why are we going to do anything to do what Jesus asked us to do? Which is when we pray, pray not my will, God, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we begin to see this theology, we'll see it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I want to close with Romans um, 8, 22 uh, through verse 25. The band can come and uh, speed me up here. Uh, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, right up, right up. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await uh, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of of our bodies, for in this we hope uh, we ho- hope we in this hope we were saved. But hope that is, is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the tension we live in. This is the beauty of this tension. We eagerly await that which is to come, and we urgently participate in that which is at hand now. It matters. It impacts everything. There's this, this groaning, this longing of creation, this longing that, that there's something more to this. There's something more to this. And it's not just something far off and beyond into the other universes, but it's, Jesus said it's here and it's now and we're called to live and participate. What does that mean for us? Well, if, if I took it back to where we started this series, it means that when we go out, God's given us space and territory to shine a light. He's, he's given us a heart that we can make a choice to surrender and let him be king of. We can, we can posture ourselves in a way to meet those around us, to be in a prayerful mindset that how can I establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? How can I fulfill Jesus' prayer? How can I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness tomorrow? 
We can get caught up on the location. We can get caught up on all the difficult theology. And I'm telling you, it's all signposts into a glorious fog. And so if, if you'll just save yourself some spinning around, head spinning. Somebody's like, yeah, my head's spinning right now. Um, yep. And um, if, you, if you say that and just say, what, what I need to do? I need to go out. I need to show the love of God. I need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things are going to get added to me. It's like that, all that's going to come. Jesus, where, where? We don't know what you're talking about. I'm the way. I'm the way. And so wherever you're at this morning, God's calling us to, to go and, and to spread his, king, his kingdom throughout the earth in your workplace by, by praying healing over people, by, by speaking love and bringing the atmosphere of love into every environment you, you go into by spreading the kingdom of God, by, um, by speaking truth over people's lives and, and witnessing and meeting people, praying and serving them. There's so many ways in which we carry forward the kingdom of God. But it's just following Jesus and carrying forward that kingdom into each one of our environments. And that's our responsibility. And so I pray today that as we've talked about these seven different things with eternity, I pray that that it, it, it draws us into the here and now, that this matters. It, it, it makes you pray for unbelieving friends and family members like you've never prayed before. Because we're not only urgently, like, we're not only eagerly awaiting that which to come, we are eagerly and urgently participating in that which is here and now. So I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray over us that we might, that we might live in this as we step out of this room, and we get to go be the church. God is preparing a bride for himself. Each and every Sunday, we come and we partake in the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said to his disciples, not, but a few moments after he or right, or a few moments before this, the next time that we partake in this together in person, will be in, in my kingdom to come. It's when I return for you. It's when I return to you. And so they're going to lead us in a song in the next few minutes. Don't, don't eagerly rush up here. Just eagerly anticipate. Eagerly await. Like there's, there's some, this ta- as tangible as this is will be the tangible nature of our reality with, with Christ in heaven. God, I thank you so much for uh, this table that you have set before us, God. A table of salvation, of redemption, to live in relationship with the way, the truth, and the life, God. I pray today that you would, you would settle our hearts, and you wouldn't let our hearts be troubled, but we would just find ourselves just more in love with you than we ever have, God, because we know that there's a, there's a reunion coming with loved ones who have gone before us, God. There is a reunion. We don't have to fear losing ourselves in this life, God. We are we're walking into eternity with you, God. I pray right now for family members, for sons and daughters who don't know you, God. It, it provokes urgency in us, God, to share the good news, to be the good news with skin on, to beautiful are the feet that carry the good news. God, may we be those beautiful feet this week. May we be those beautiful feet. We thank you for your blood, your body poured out for us that's represented at this table. We cannot wait to to enjoy it with you and your kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen. There's going to be some folks...